Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for the communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Arts Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Kaylin Faye Barnowski. Kaylin Faye Barnowski is an interdisciplinary artist, musician, curator, and educator from Oklahoma. Centering Indigenous and decolonial methodologies, their work focuses on self-location, community building, collaboration, and empathy through the use of music, publication, storytelling, and contemporary craft. In every endeavor, they see their practice as a way to find ways in which we can all intersect and to build bridges of understanding. Their practice is for you, for me, for us, for we. Kaylin Faye Barnowski holds an MFA from the University of Arkansas, an MA from the University of Tulsa, and a BFA from Roger State University. Kaylin has worked with Peabody Essex Museum, the Philbrook Museum of Art, Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, the Momentary, the Eidelborg Museum, along with others, and performed, exhibited, and facilitated workshops, both nationally and internationally. A lot of these interviews are a lot of fun, and I say this often, especially in the early seasons, uh, but you're, you're going to hear um, sort of a joy in the interaction that the two of us had, and so uh, I'm excited to share this with you. So with that said, let's jump into this conversation with Kayla Faye Barnowski. Kaylin Faye, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, would you be able to introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, and what what it is that you do. Yeah, so I see you, Kaylin Faye. Hi, my name is Kaylin Faye. Um, I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma. All my family is from Tahlequah, Oklahoma. And I grew up between all of those places in Okima, Oklahoma, where Woody Guthrie's from. Um, I am a singer, songwriter, a musician. I'm an educator, curator, um, and a visual artist. They're all the things. It's a lot of those, things. That's a lot of things. <laughs> that's a lot of things. It keeps you really busy. It does. It keeps me super busy. <laughs> <laughs> so we recently met at... Um, at the Portland Art Museum at the, the gala there uh, that celebrated uh, both, um, well, a number of artists, including Oscar Howe and Jeffrey Gibson. And during the course of that conversation, uh, you had talked about a fellowship uh, that you're a part of right now. Yeah, so I am a part of the Mellon Foundation. Um, like Mellon Foundation has fellows all across the U.S. So I'm part of a, a Mellon-funded foundation fellowship um, at Philbrook Museum of Art. Oh, well, congratulations for that. And uh, the work that you're doing is pretty incredible. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. It's been awesome. Um, I've been here for a little over a year now, just as a curatorial fellow. Wow, that's that's so great. Uh, can you talk about your influences, uh, your influences later on, and uh, what's currently influencing you right now? So when you asked me this question, I thought about this for a while because I'm influenced by so many different things and it's really hard to hone in on like a thing. So probably my biggest influence um, is my grandma, so my Alisi and my Duda. And they both passed when I was younger, but um, maintaining their, 
you know, vision and hope and the things that they taught me growing up, that's probably always going to be my biggest influence and things I'm like looking at um, as a far as far as like a personal influence um, and kind of like my compass and guiding way in which I move through the world. Um, influentially through like art. Um, I mean, Jeffrey Gibson, meeting you at the gala was really important for me because Jeffrey Gibson and Oscar Howe are both huge influences on the way that I work and think about the world and the way that they, the term I like to use is like indigenuity, the way they're like ingenious um, and innovative and think about creating new traditions in the native field, whether it's through music or art um, or the way that they're just uh, experiencing the world and facilitating experiences for others. I think that's a great way of looking at it, uh, facilitating the way we look, look and see and hear things, experience things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk let's talk about your career. Um, how how have you developed your career, uh, both in college and post college? So my career has gone through so many different facets <laughs> and layers. It's like a really big onion, and <laughs> some of it has dank <laughs> some of it has been awesome <laughs> um so i got my bfa um in graphic design with a minor in spanish and i really wanted to be a graphic designer and i worked for my tribe which is Cherokee nation um for about a year and realized that was not my bag i did not enjoy that but i still loved like problem solving and um you know, create, facili again, facilitating experiences for people to have access to information um, and understand like a visual language a little bit better. So then I went to um, grad school. I got my MA in um, graphic design and printmaking. And then I took another year and I adjuncted and taught, um, or took two years, and then I got an MFA in printmaking from University of Arkansas. And while I was at University of Arkansas, I did all of these um, fellowships, internships. So I worked for Peabody Essex Museum um, and did their Native Art Fellowship, working with integrated me media and building out sound experiences. Um, and then I worked for Art Bridges and Crystal Bridges. And finally, I'm here now. Um, mm -hmm. And all during that time, while I was doing this like arts career, I was also building my music career. Um, and that is just like an entirely different bag of things. <laughs> so, uh, you, with print, let's, uh, let's focus on printmaking just for a second here. Uh, what, yeah. what is your, your preferred method of printmaking? So my preferred method of printmaking is probably silkscreen. I love silkscreen. I love it for the accessibility. I love it because it's got this history rooted in, um, you know, social justice, because it's such a quick way of printing. Um, and it's, again, it's accessible because of the way it's done. It's accessible because you can wear it, you can share it. There's so many different ways. I just like really enjoy reproducible media for that reason. Mm. Oh, and uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, your, your music career. Um, Cause it's, it, yeah. I, I would assume it's a, it's a, much different path than being a studio uh, printmaker. Um, how, how has that developed along the way? Yeah, I think, 
So I grew up playing jazz and I played trumpet. And um, I'm the only one in my family who plays music at all. So I've always been kind of like the black sheep, but in like a nicer way. Everyone doesn't see me as an outsider sort of situation. Um, but I started playing when I was younger. Um, I stopped playing music for a little while. And then I taught myself how to play guitar when I was in my early 20s. Um, because I realized I couldn't, you know, sing. I, I didn't even know I could sing until my early 20s. It was just something that kind of like happened. My mom was like, you're tone deaf when I was younger. So I just like took that to heart and never sang again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in my early 20s, you know, you were just like full of all sorts of emotions, trying to figure things out <laughs> and decided I wanted to sing and write songs. Um and I just started doing that and started performing more and tried to figure out no one was able to like help me because no one in my family knew what to do with that sort of situation. Um, they couldn't help me with my career in that way. So I just started going to open mic nights in Tulsa and then um, I would go up to Washington a lot to go see some friends. And so I do stuff there too. Um, and then there is a uh, record company called Horton Records in Tulsa. And he would come out to show sometimes and he, they were just kind of getting started. Um, and he was like, you could record if you had a band and all of these different venues were like, we would have you play shows if you would put together a band. And so I put together a band and started playing out a lot. I'm sorry, this is like the most long-winded story this is great i know this is great absolutely, absolutely. Uh, okay it's like long-winded i know that um but i started playing out um i met this guy uh his name was tom and he passed away a few years ago but he was pretty influential to everyone in the tulsa music scene um he's one of the people who kind of started red dirt music so he'd go between texas and oklahoma a lot and he would have me come up and play sometimes. And that became a big deal for me because I met so many amazing other artists. He was like this location, this spot at which we all kind of like intersected. Um, so that really is what kind of changed the trajectory of my career is getting to meet so many people through him and by him. Um, and then it just kind of catapulted from there. And I started playing a lot of uh a lot of like regional spots because of people Tom knew and regional spots because of these new relationships I had. Um, and then I started applying for different things. So I did folk Alliance um, international and have been a, a official artist through that a few times through South by Southwest through Kerrville. Um, these are all like folk genre uh, festivals. I mean, South by is much bigger than that, but um you know, started doing this thing and finding my voice and finding my niche in folk music. And thanks to like a lot of people who saw something like I didn't see and I didn't even know how to get to, it was just like a lot of people who wanted to help me and a lot of asking for help and trying to figure out how to move in a particular way. Um, but now as it kind of stands, I've put out two different records with all these people that I love and care about. And I've never made a record that I am not playing with people like I'm friends with. And that feels really good. Um, and now it's intersecting in a really cool way where it's like 
music and art were always very separate for me. Like my visual art practice was very different than my music practice, but now it's like coming together in this really wonderful way where everything's kind of reflective of each other. And I'm able to do a lot of performances in museums now. So I travel and do that and talk about my practice and talk about all of these like intersecting parts. Um, and you know this next record that i am about to put out hopefully by the end of this year um has been funded by native arts and culture foundation and first america or first people's fund um and yeah i don't know i'm just really excited everything's intersecting in a really wonderful way and music and art are always going to be intersecting now and that makes me happy oh no that's wonderful what what are the names of your your two other uh, albums so my first album was called Bible Belt, and the second one was called Good Company. Okay. Where can the listener find those? So a listener can find both of those records on Spotify, Apple Music, um, anywhere you want to find it. If you want to pay for it, you can find it on Bandcamp or Horton Records. I, I would encourage the listener to pay for it um, because we support artists. Uh, what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes uh, so they can find your work. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, um, you know, with, with your, your visual work and the music that you're doing, how do you find a balance between uh, creating both, um, both types of work? Because I imagine it takes up a lot, not just a lot of time, but a lot of headspace as well. It does take up a ton of headspace. Um, and they both come from like similar wells. You know, like you're pulling from a, a same creative space. So I think for me, it's like the bouncing back and forth between things is really helpful to me because once I hit that wall, like writing music, I can jump to, you know, my studio space and go start like weaving again. And then once I feel like I've hit a stop there, then I'll move back to writing. So it's it's a really nice like, it's just nice to have because it offers me like flexibility and adaptability um, to be able to bounce between the two. Hmm. Do, do you have to take uh, breaks every now and then to sort of clear yourself and to center yourself? Or is it one of these things where you just sort of roll with it as long as you can? How, do, how does that process work for you? I mean, I roll with it as long as I can, but I do have to take breaks um, because most of my work, my visual work and my music is really centered in the experiences that I share, like in a landscape with other people, um, with my family, with my friends. Um, and if I don't have like a well of experiences to pull from, it's really hard for me to write, especially new experiences. Um, so like the pandemic was really difficult for me to write because I wasn't having, I wasn't building out um experiences with other people it was helpful though because i wrote a lot of like soundscapes because i was in the land a lot i was out exploring by myself so it made me be a lot more reflective of you know what's above me and what's below me hmm. that reminds me a little bit of um, a raven chacon's um type of, of the work that he does in a sense the description i yeah yeah, absolutely. I, um, I'm super inspired by his work. Um, because I think there's like a, 
it's so rooted in like the frameworks for listening for so many native peoples um, and the frameworks for just being, because I think a lot about, there's a book by Mishwana Goman called um, Mark My Words, Indigenous Women Mapping. And it's about like the idea of a location being um, important for indigenous peoples, not because of the geographic space that it is in that location, because mapping comes from this history of like, settler colonialism and trying to extract things but this idea of mapping in the way that's thinking about a shared experience with again people land animals um and um you know how that location can move but thinking about you know Raven Chacon's work about the work that I would like to I mean I'm not comparing myself to Raven Chacon <laughs> he's awesome um but I do want to say like it's got this history that's, you know, embedded in the way we already think about the world and our relationship to things and how we can be reciprocal in that relationship, how we can reflect these different parts of ourselves, but also how like, it's not one note, you know, it's not like, it's not like Western art in the way that you see the thing and that's it. It's like, there's so many different parts that make up the whole and you can never see the whole at once. You have to like, experience all these different things to see the whole Hmm. i'm getting like way out there and i realize that but (laughs) that's great no that that's that's wonderful Uh, i think if everyone just answered the the question straight the five questions we'd be done in five minutes which would be terrible so (laughs) (laughs) i love this uh but what you're describing um also sounds like um indigenous language how it's spoken um i know like uh as a dakota uh the the words that we use are not straight like you can't translate it straight from a dakota word a noun to an english noun um yeah the words that the dakota use are descriptors and insinuate things um there's complexities and layers within words and it kind of it kind of what you're describing makes me think of that yeah i had this like really wonderful conversation with Molly Murphy Adams this last week. And I don't know if you know her, she's um, a Lakota bead worker. Um, She's just incredibly knowledgeable around the type of beadwork for the last, you know, a hundred years. And we were looking at this um, cradle board and talking about these different aspects of, you know, beadwork in the cradle, but also in bandolier bags and she also talked about like this idea of Western art and how you perceive work and how you perceive, you know, art, but it being like the bandolier bag, like you see the front side, but there's so many different aspects and you can't understand what it is until you know all the parts. And that includes the interior of the bag. Cause that's special. It includes the backside and the sides and includes the strap, you know, it's all of these different parts and you can't see it all at once. You have to, take time it takes time to take in the whole mm-hmm. um anyway yes it's nuanced it's nuanced and layered <laughs> it's a beautiful description though it's a beautiful way of looking at it for sure yeah that's all i give all that credit to molly murphy adams she just was like you know dropped a bunch of knowledge on me and i was like i'm here for this <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about opportunities um how have opportunities yeah. presented themselves to you uh, I guess maybe um, early on, uh, even during your college years and currently right now? 
How, how has that evolved over time? I think, um, so for me, I grew up with this mindset, like I have to do it by myself and I have to like really work and make this happen um, and carve out this path for myself. And I think as time has moved on, I it's become more and more clear that I don't have to do that um, to ask for help, that the people came before me to carve that path out. And I'm just kind of following that and carving out where I can to keep it moving for the next generation. But I think, um, especially in college years, opportunities arose. Hmm. See, this is a difficult question because opportunities for me were, have always just been like people who want to help <laughs> and see that I want to help as well. Like I want to move forward and people see that. And so they are willing to give me an opportunity to keep that moving forward. I think the main thing for me though was like, I struggled a lot too with this idea that you have to focus on a thing and that's how you move forward. Like all through your school years is like, you've got a focus. And if you don't do that focus, then you're like not successful or you're not accomplishing something. Um, and I always like struggled balancing that because as you can tell, I like doing a lot of things and they all inform who I am and what I enjoy doing. Um, and it just never felt like reflective of who I was as a person. And um, it wasn't until, honestly, um, I kept pushing things to the side and pushing things to the side. And it wasn't until I went to um, Peabody Essex Museum and did this uh, fellowship in which this like Harvard grad guy came in and was like, to tell your story, you have to focus on, you know, one part of your story. And that's it. And that's how you tell a successful story if you're like in the business world. And I was like, I don't agree with this at all. And so we, all of us are native, you know, um, professionals, people who want to move, move and work in the museum field and beyond and arts. And all of us struggled with it. It was not something any of us could do. And so as I like reflected on that experience, I was like, no, I need to like, take ownership of the fact that I have so many parts of me that I want to do and want to be and want to reflect because as humans, we are nuanced. And once I kind of like really held to that idea of myself and that those frameworks for myself, um, the opportunities just started like pouring in. It was like, you knew it's like knowing who you want to be, knowing who you want to reflect, knowing where you come from, where those stories are held. Um, it's just taking ownership of who you are as a person. And then the opportunities seem to like come. So what would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? I think for the 18 to 22 year old who's listening to this conversation, that the thing that they are doing right now isn't the thing that they have to always be doing. <laughs> and that um, as you move through the world and as you learn more things and as you change as a person, your career choices can change. Um, your opinion can change. You can allow yourself to change and the things that you do and are passionate about um, can move accordingly. 
so never to like you know silo yourself or sanction yourself off to this like singular way of thinking about the world or moving in this linear way but to allow yourself to be open to new opportunities and to say yes to the things that feel sustainable to you and say no to the things that don't feel sustainable to you so whenever i say sustainable i mean like the things that are within that are within like your purview that you're like yes i hmm, i'm gonna give an example so an example would be like i'm going to write a song but i also have this opportunity to like put a piece in this show and it's got the same timeline like can i do these things at the same time well i'm making a song about um like i'm making a song about tulsa and this artwork is also about Tulsa. That means my research is going to be similar. That means that's a sustainable thing I can do and I can keep moving in that way. If the work was about something else, then I would probably say no because it's not a way I can like move forward sustainably. It stretches me. It doesn't um, and pulls me apart. It doesn't like intersect. So it's like finding these things that support all of these parts that you like doing mm. um, and creating a sustainable practice for yourself. I don't know if that like makes sense, but. Well, in in a sense, uh, the, the listener should be mindful of maybe for the lack of a better term, protecting themselves, right. Looking out for their, yeah. their well-being in all, in all facets of life, but certainly creatively. Yeah, definitely creatively. It's like, I'm not going to do something that's, I'm obviously going to take opportunities that I feel like stretches me and pushes me as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to be more knowledgeable. I want to be able to speak to new things. But um, if you've got a lot going on, you got to make sure like that's a sustainable practice. And if you're having to focus on a thing and there's a thing that you're prioritizing, then like making sure the other parts support that. Yeah. Because you don't want to derail your pro- your other um, processes across the board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so, like very simple practice, but <laughs> no, it's it's very mindful though. Uh, what, um, yeah? So, w- what do you have going on right now? What's what's the current thing happening? So, let me tell you, Joe. The current thing I have happening is I'm trying to finish this third record, and the third record has just taken like a year for me to work on. <laughs> Slow and steady. So my first record that I worked on, it was also like a year and a half of like, you know, once a week in the studio and like doing things when I can and where I can. Um, My second record I did in the studio in like three days and that's it. It was like a live tracking. And I think it turned out well because so many musicians in Tulsa are awesome. Um, And my friends are great, but this next record, I went back to like that first record process. So it's taking a little more time, but I feel like, um, you know, certain records take more time than others because it, they come from a different place. And so this record specifically is about uh, the relationship I have with my Lisi and my Duda and in Tahlequah and on the land that they kind of held for a long time. Um, so it's just a little bit more complicated and trying to be more careful with it. And 
the other part of the record that's taking a really long time is that um, the record is meant to be in collaboration with other Native artists. So there are seven or eight other Native musicians who are playing on it. So that includes Olivia Kalmachi, Penny Pitchlin, who does Labrys and is the basis for Broncho, uh, Chris Dirksen, who is a First Nations artist, uh, or cellist, um, let's see. Oh my gosh, there's so many. Sage Najoni, she's out of Austin. Um, but there's just so many artists and most of them are femme or queer artists, which is really cool and I didn't realize was happening until I like got them all together and was like, oh, wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> this is like a cool thing and I'm super excited. I'm trying to be like as collaborative with other native artists as I possibly can from the cover to like the sound design to, you know, songwriting. So it's, it's been a really cool process to the point where I feel like I have enough collaborative partners that we could make a whole other record after this one. That's so great. That's exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. It's so cool too. There's so in like doing this, there's been so many discoveries I've made, which is, there are a lot of like native opera singers. Really? Like I had no idea. Yeah. I was just on like two different phone calls or zoom calls with like two older women who studied opera their entire lives. And now like live in Tahlequah again, just, I had no idea. So, uh, I was talking to, um, Inga Don, who is Oscar Howe's daughter. Yeah. And I, I asked her, I, I, in a lot of photographs, I've noticed this clock radio that Oscar has in his studio. And I said, what, what was it that he listened to when he was working? Like, what was the thing that, that inspired him? And she said, funny enough, it was opera music. He would listen to opera music as he created his works. What? And I know. Right. So apparently, allegedly, um, his wife, uh, who it was German, they had met during the war. Um, yeah. She was studying to become an opera singer before she had met him. And when she came over to America, of course, um, she was no longer able to pursue that. Uh, but the love of opera uh, permeated throughout the house. And so, yeah, his music was, um, the opera music was was in his studio as he worked. Did we just find like a shared thing? We're going to start researching. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to um so to answer your question absolutely um <laughs> uh so uh i'm working we've been working for a while now uh myself and the university of south dakota we're doing a we're actually doing an oscar howe exhibition as well nothing as grand as um kathleen ash milby's and the portland art museum's beautiful yeah. exhibition uh we're doing a smaller one but Part of what we're doing, oh, I don't know how much I want to give away before it comes out. Um, <laughs> uh, we're actually going to, we, we, so the university has, um, and the family, of course, has a number of, but yeah. So anyways. I think that's so cool though. That's, I love that you're pairing like music with this. Cause it's like a whole other aspect that I feel like gets overlooked in a lot of museums um, and gallery spaces is like, what were artists looking at at the time? What were they surrounded by? How did that influence what they were making? Like, what were they listening to? What spaces did they inhabit? And I feel like 
you know, some museums really play into that and some don't, but um, I don't know. I think it's really important. Again, not influenced by one way of making. So it's like, how do we bring that to people who are viewers and audience members, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, I think it's an, uh, deeply important, of course, um, to, to try to understand those things and to communicate that to the patron of those spaces when they walk through to give them a better idea um, of who those individuals are and not yeah, just the absolutely. works they created. Yes, totally. Well, um, oh, uh, so <laughs> where, where can, where can a listener find your work and be able to connect with what you do? So I've got a few different ways you can find all of the things that I do. So kaylinfay.com is where I keep things mostly updated. Um, and you can find my music, you can find all of my albums and my singles that I put out. Um, and there's also links on that website to get to, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, social media. Um, and then I've got kaylinfornoski.com. And in case you would like to know more, my full name is Kaylin Faye Barnoski. And Barnoski is a Muskogee name. It's Barnoski. Um, you know, but then Dosserl stuff. So now it looks like I'm Polish and I'm not. (laughs) 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 It's created a lot of issues in, um, some like native, uh, native jury shows. (laughs) They're like, Uh, Kaylin's Polish. And I'm like, no, I'm not Polish. Here you go. (laughs) That's, that's a rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah, it is totally a rabbit hole. We don't have to go down that hole right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so KaylinBarnowski.com is where I keep all of like my visual art. And so any shows or my CV or anything that you're looking for in that regard goes there. Fantastic. I, I invite the viewer to, to check those sites out. We'll put links in the show notes as well okay. to those. Yeah. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much for your time and sharing uh, your your story with us. This is really great. Yeah, thank you. I've had a really good time. This has been awesome. I have as well. Thank you. (laughs) And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Kaylin again for their time and sharing their story with us. It's the the conversation... um, was was kind of not really all over the place but it was expansive and it was a lot of fun uh oftentimes there's a really strict format on how these conversations go and this this one uh like many uh but especially this one just felt like a conversation with a friend and you know i i I met um uh, kaylin uh back in portland art museum uh last fall and it, it was clear that we had to sit down and have a conversation their work is incredible, both uh, the, the 2D work that they create, but the music. The music is something else. And so there are links in the show notes, uh, the Spotify connection, the Bandcamp. Uh, go check it out. Listen to the music. It is well worth your time and your money to invest in. Um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, you know, with that said, I just want to thank Kayla again. And yeah, I look forward to the, the next uh, project that we're going to be working on. There'll be more to that to come. So yeah, I'm excited. I also want to thank you 
for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on our Facebook page, our Instagram page, which is the Five Plain Questions podcast, or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please look me up on Facebook or Instagram or go to the plainsart.org website and um, grab my email. It's jwilliams at plainsart.org. Message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right. That's it. You take care, and we will see you.